Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Thanks for joining us here today, and we're really glad you're here. In most churches today, mothers will be honored and hopefully uplifted and encouraged. Most churches, there will be a time we talk about moms and the powerful impact that they have on our children and world and spouses and all of that. Today, I want to expand our thinking a little bit from rather than just doing a Mother's Day message into addressing all women. Today, by looking at some of the things that God calls you and I to do and be in our changing world, uh, this is a day we want to be thankful for mothers, yes, and sisters and grandmas and, and all women. But I think also today we want to ask some questions. And, and I'd like to t- look a, take a look at three stories out of the book of Esther. I could have had many others, but we just do that. Now, many of you know that I take people to Israel for two-week trips and one of our, as one of our discipleship and leadership training ministries of our church. And we learn about the Jewish culture and gain an understanding of the roots of our faith. One of the great Jewish ways of life I get to teach our group while we're there is what happens on Friday evening at Sabbath meal. Let me set this up for us. Late Friday afternoon, we all go back to the hotel and relax. Uh, We were just uh, up in northern Galilee in in the Golan Heights. It's wonderful there. But anyhow, we come back and have a shower and a a small snack because there's going to be a Sabbath meal that's huge later. But there's lots that needs to go on. Just before sundown, the men go to a synagogue service on the Sabbath, and uh, there's certain songs that get sung and, and things that get read. And I love that. I don't speak Hebrew, but I, I enter in with some of the singing and the praying. It's just cool. Women can attend if they wish, but for men, it's expected. Uh, women are responsible to, to uh, prepare an amazing nine-course or more-course meal. Note, uh, some Jewish people declare that the holiest and most sacred place of, in all time, after, now that the, the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed, all time is the, the Sabbath table. And history has it that women are in charge of leading the Sabbath table, not men. I hope you got that. The most holiest and sacred place on earth is the Sabbath table where each family member will be celebrated and encouraged and and you eat the Sabbath meal together. One of the opening rituals for this is the dad of the household or adopted uncle or maybe even grandfather pray over their entire family. There's special uh, ways that you pray for children, the girls, the boys. You, you lay hands on them, and there's a special prayer for them. And then the husband lays his hands on the shoulders of his wife and reads this amazing prayer from Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10. Now, some people come home from Israel and on our trip, and they adopt this practice to do this in the Sabbath meal every, every Friday night in their house. And it's interesting, I've even seen children don't want to leave and go for a sleepover someplace because it would mean missing dad's weekly blessing. It's amazing. This is a sacred time. And and these people know how to celebrate and dance and sing. And they've added this prayer time because of the importance of women. Children literally running after each other. And and there is noise. It's, it's, It's just amazing. I love it. And I hope someday we can do that together. Now, now think with me for just a few minutes. It's very difficult to be angry at a child or a spouse and still pray for them. That means that this is a specific time of confession and forgiveness that pulls families together. It's a wonderful transition, or, or sorry, tra- tradition. I, w- I want you to, t- to take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. This is a text to appreciate and motivate and encourage all women, young and old, single, married, not married, all women, 
This is a description of what a godly woman, not just a wife, but what a godly woman looks like. This list of characteristics is appreciated not to belittle women or to overwhelm them, but to give them a practical picture of a godly woman whom can strive to become a great woman. Truth is, no woman is perfect, and no woman gets all these characteristics. But all women are called to godliness and reflecting God to others. Now, we're going to do something a little different here. I haven't done this before, but I want to remind you and give you the opportunity to do what the Jewish people do that, that night, especially as the husbands simply lay hands on their wife. Now, you can do this a couple ways. You might be in a small group, and, uh, or you might be alone in your family watching this. What I'd like you to do is have your wife sit down at the table and you stand behind her. As I read this prayer, you pray along with me. Okay, now maybe that's a little too much for some of us. And that being that, we will just, I'll, I'll do this. You just sit down, but I want you to hold your spouse's hand and allow me to pray this over you, okay? So in the same spirit of wisdom and worship, uh, follow, follow me here. Proverbs Chapter 31. Nope. In the Living Bible Translation, if you can find a truly good wife, she is worth more than precious gems. Her husband can trust in her, and she will be richly satisfying his needs all of their lives. They will not hinder, she will not hinder him, but will help him in all her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it, she buys imported foods brought by ships from distant ports. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plans the, works, the work of the day for her daughters and household. She goes out to inspect a field and buys it. With her own hands, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic, a hard worker. She watches for bargains. She works far into the night. She sows for the poor and generous is generous to those who are in need. She has no fear of winter for her household, for she has made warm clothing for them all. She also upholsters and fine, uh, of fine ta tapestry. Her own clothing is beautifully made, a purple gown of pure linen. Her husband is well known, for he sits in the council, in the council chamber with the other civic men and women. She must... Uh, she makes belted linen garments to sell to the merchants. She is a woman of strength and dignity. She has no fear of old age. When she speaks, her words are wise, and kindness is the rule of everything she says. She watches carefully all that goes throughout her household and is never lazy. Her children stand and bless her, and so does her husband. He praises her with these words. There are many fine women in the world, but you are the best of them all. Charge can be, charm can be deceptive and beauty doesn't last, but a woman who fears and reverence God will be greatly praised. We praise her for the many fine things she does. These are good deeds of hers. Shall they bring her honor and rec recognition of the people of the importance of women? Lord, teach us what this means. Thank you for the women in our families and in our church. Bless them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
I've reworked some material by Ray Vanderland, who was the first guy to show me this whole ministry of uh, what they do on the Sabbath meal, as well as John Ortberg and Bill Hybels. And I, and I want you to turn to the book of Esther, and I'd like to paraphrase specific items on these three stories and, and how it applies to our lives. The first story is in chapter one of Esther. Here's where the king that was named Xerxes was the king of Persia, and at that time, it was declared that the most civilized country in the world was Persia. Uh, king Xerxes wanted to celebrate his power and might, and so he called his whole country together to throw a party. In fact, to throw the mother of all parties, 180 days long. After that, Xerxes uh, threw together another seventh-day banquet for his key military leaders and economic, economic leaders. During the party, he displayed all of the trophies of art and war bounty and anything to make him feel important and strong. So at the end of the seven-day banquet, he was feeling really great about himself and all that's going on, but then he remembered and he had forgotten to display his most valuable prize, one that would make all men drool. That would be, uh, he forgot to display his wife Vashti. That was found in Esther chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. On the seventh day, when the king Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded his seven eunuchs to serve him and to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people around. For she was lovely, and another text says, she was beautiful in face and form. I'll just leave that with you. Xerxes sent word for her that she would come and show herself off to the rest of the men and make them envious at her beauty. Xerxes sent a message to her, but it didn't come back the way that he thought it was. Veshti sent a different message to him than the king expected. She told the messenger to say this to the king, I'm not coming, and you can take a fly and leap. I think that last fly and leap thing was a paraphrase, but I believe that's what was said. No thanks, in other words, and probably with a little more octane than that. King Xerxes went ballistic. He got, in his reply, he said, you shall never face or see the king's face again. He was embarrassed by all the people, all of his friends, the military guys, everything else. And so she, he, she was deposed and sent away from the, from the king himself. Let's pause here for a minute. A couple things to learn. Number one. I am so impressed with Vashti's refusal to be paraded around before others. It reveals a woman of character and courage not to allow everyone to treat her like an object. She refused the command of the king, even at the maybe at the cost of her life, certainly at the cost of her queen queenship. Character and substance matter. The truth is men have been displaying and using and abusing women for objects for a long time. I'm not sure where you're at today, but I'm sick of every time we go to the news, we hear of another leader, the sick horrors of men abusing women sexually, verbally, emotionally, physically, and other ways. And other women at times pass that abuse on to their children or their spouses. Let's spend a little bit of time thinking through this. Firstly, terrible statistics. Over 50 girls, 50% 50 of our girls, will be abused before they die. 50. That's just one, and that's enough. We need to stop this tragedy. 
few questions that ponder us uh, with us. Why do abusers abuse? This is a very complex question. I am told that most abuse others uh, because they abused, were abused themselves. Their soul was wounded. They didn't get any help. And so rage and pain took over and they acted out on other people. Others say that abuse is due to a sense of powerlessness and frustration. These people were never taught how to handle a position of power, and so they usurp power on innocent victims when they get a chance. The truth is, abuse is, about sex, is not just about sexuality, it's also about the misuse of power. Second question, what are the effects of men and women, boys and girls? I think in one word it would be devastating. More than the body gets violated, sexual abuse shatters the soul and damages people at the deepest level of life. The abuse is often so deep that when it happens, the little boys or little girls can't understand and they develop an ability to lock out and repress and warp reality. Often things surface in their 30s and 40s where life unrail, unravels a bit and memories return and many times there is shame that people don't understand where it's coming from. I am told that identity confusion and depression and the inability to trust others, especially people in positions of power, are just some of the wounded signs. Third question, can abused men and women recover from this? The answer is yes, but it's going to take a long and involved and painful journey. These people will need help from competent Christian counselors and support from family and friends and spiritual leaders and churches like ours. I think this story about Vashti and how she responded to her husband gives me confidence. It bolsters my reasoning to say no to abuse and not allow anyone in our homes or circle of friendship to be mistreated by anybody in a position of power. Women are not just objects. They're God's children created in His image. Young women, the truth is you are not somebody's boy toy. I understand it might be cool for some people to wear a t-shirt that declares you're a boy toy. I'm not buying it. I say they're wrong. You are made in the image of God, not for something, not, you are not something that someone gets to use. Let's draw on some other practical applications from this story. Firstly, to all men, take every opportunity to publicly and privately affirm and encourage your spouse and your daughters. When we read Proverbs 31, 28, it says that they will rise up and call you blessed. We don't have many opportunities in life to do this rising up and call you blessed thing. And so whenever you get an opportunity chance to, to bolster and support and encourage each of the women in your household, do it. Publicly encourage and be thankful for all women in your household. I was at a wedding a while back that simply made me sad because at the end of the day, person after person would come up and grab the microphone and instead of honoring and encouraging these newlyweds, they made fun of them. Now, I, I like a good joke, but to simply all they did was make fun of the bride and the groom and simply they, they missed an opportunity to build this couple up and bless them and affirm them and encourage them. We know... Uh, all of us love a good laugh, but I think there's a time also with laughter to respect and honor and love. A while later, I was at another wedding reception, and this young groom stood up and loved, he loves God. It was obvious. He stood and he talked about how his wife, how his wife is beautiful and grace-filled and kind and selfless and gentle and courageous. It was moving. God was honored. She was honored as a, as a new wife. The families are honored. Grandparents are honored. 
Why don't we do more of this? Proverbs 31, someone might say, well, my, my wife doesn't possess all those things like Proverbs 31 is. That's okay. The ones she does have, celebrate them. The ones, the characteristics she doesn't have, you kiss them into existence then as a spouse. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27 says, we are responsible to influence others to become more and more like Jesus. And I think Paul had Proverbs 31 in mind when he wrote Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Love, husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for the church to make her holy and cleanse her with washing with the water through the word and present him to himself a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, but holy, and blameless. To men and women, if you are abusive right now, in any way, sexually, verbally, whatever it is, stop and get some help. To all women, teach your sons and daughters by modeling the dignity of biblical womanhood. Nothing is as classy and winsome as a biblical woman. So ladies, Please say this truthful phrase with me. It'll be a little test of what I'm, I'm asking you to be doing this week and beyond. It, it may remind you of Vashti. The phrase is, take a fly and leap. Say it with me. Take a fly and leap. Now, like, let me give you some the practice there, but let me give you some scenarios. At the end, you need to say, take a fly and leap. You're right. Okay, so the uh, first scenario, if your boss or coworker ever wants you to get involved with him sexually, or compromise your commitment to God or to your husband, you need to stand up and say, take a fly and leap. That's right. Secondly, if your company ever asks you to compromise your biblical ethics, to be unfaithful to God and the truth, you stand up and say, take a fly and leap. Thirdly, if all you single women now, this is for you, if your boyfriend pressures you to be involved with him sexually or to be more involved than, than you are, are comfortable with or you believe the Bible says, okay, Take a flying leap, that's right, that's right. Fourthly, to all wives and mums today, when your husband lovingly gives you diamond necklaces and rings, what are you going to say? Yeah, not flying, you get what I mean, you get what I mean. The second story from Esther is about Zeresh. To introduce her, Zeresh is the wife of Haman, who was the prime minister of Persia, big dude. Her husband, Haman, was a person of ambition, but also very insecure and very immature as a man. You'll see why. Haman and his colleagues would uh, tour the city of Susa, the capital back then, and he was the ruler of the city. So whenever his chariot showed up, everybody had to bow. And they did bow, except a guy named Mordecai, who would not bow. It gives the information on that in chapter 3 of Esther, verses 1 to 4. The information is this, one day that Mordecai would not bow to Haman, and Haman blew a gasket. He went home pouting to his wife, trembling lower lip, mad, and saying, what is a guy going to do? I don't know what to do. How do I handle this outrage? I went through the city today, he was talking to his wife, and everybody bowed except Marty. For some reason, Marty wouldn't bow. It's driving me crazy. What am I going to do? Push pause. Now meet Zeresh, who's Haman's wife. And she is in a strategic opportunity to wisely counsel her husband. He was at some sort of key crisis in his life. And the, the first story, you see Vashti, a woman of character and courage. Now here's Zeresh in the story, a woman of compromise and cowardice. She could have said to, the, to him, stop your pouting. Haman, I mean, get a grip on your life. 
You have the respect of the king, the staff, me, the kids, the entire city except one guy. Let it go. Why are you obsessing like this? There's only one guy that's not saluting you. Big deal. That's what she should have said and could have said, but she didn't. She wimped out. Rather than helping her husband out of this pettiness, she compromised and went along with Haman's immaturity and said, Oh, Haman, baby, I understand how dared this Marty guy do this. You are the vice president. I mean, this is, this is important. I think we should build gallows and hang him. In fact, let's hang all the Israeli people. Because that's what happened. That was the plan. So Haman built some gallows and plotted to kill Mordecai. Her counsel backfired, and later, in a curious twist of God's work, her, child, her childish husband was actually hung on those gallows rather than Mordecai. Lesson time. Why would Zeresh and why do so many women of history compromise, because, uh, compromise themselves and pass on a strategic opportunity to give sound counsel to their husbands? I think many Christians here often have an inadequate and misunderstanding of the biblical concept of submission. Let me explain. Let's look at that submission thing, what it is and what it is not. Biblical submission does not require a woman to jettison, jettison her, her brains, compromise her convictions, distort her feelings, or conceal her insights as she attempts to submit and help her husband. That's important. Secondly, the Bible, is not, Bible does not assume that women or spouses have to have, be in, have an inferior position to men and are obligated to obey all the whims of men. No. Thirdly, biblical submission does not demand that a woman deny her discernment or downplay her disagreements with her husband, nor necessarily tell him just what he wants to hear. Submission is a military term. It means to respect someone's position, not bigger, not better, not wiser but to put oneself under another person. Submission has to do with both being a leader and being a follower. Good leaders are followers. Good followers are leaders. Let's look at Ephesians 5 as the text that comes to mind in the direction of what submission is. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's huge. Mutual submission is the goal. Not one gender to the other. Some say, well, how do we get to that? Well, back up in that text and start at verse 18. Ephesians 5, 18. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to wickedness. Instead, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, allow the Holy Spirit of God to control our lives, to make us like Jesus, to lead us in unity and grace and truth. We will then reflect the very character of God to others. Secondly, it goes on in verse 19, verse A, it's, or first part of it, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit. Changes our speaking to wholesome and encouragement, wholesome words. The second part of verse 17, or 19 says, sing and make music to your heart. He will put a new song in your heart. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a gratitude and a thankfulness in your soul. And then it goes to verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Submission is the goal, not one gender over another, because Jesus living in us and through us will multiply and uh, submission in our lives and make us more and more like himself. And so a sincere grace-giving attitude will be ours 
To a husband, he will submit to his wife. To a wife, he will, she will submit to her husband. Biblical submission is encouraging each other's potential, honoring each other's feelings, affirming each other's dignity, and believing the best in each other, cooperating with God working in their lives. Biblical submission is keeping her own personalhood, sustain her self-worth apart from her husband. It doesn't position himself as inferior or superior to her. As the co-leader of the family, she is responsible to warn her husband about things, giving him an expanded perspective on situations. Submission cannot be divided from grace and truth and love and friendship. Only very immature and unhealthy husbands want to be married to a woman who cowers and usually has says nothing to say to help others. Yet men of, of backbone and courage understand major league submission, which produces great marriages. A phase to help you remember this lesson of Zeresh is get a grip. Stay, say that after me, get a grip. So when your spouse wimps out and is ready to quit or to do something stupid or sinful, you need to say, get a grip. That's correct. Third story, final story, is about Esther. Esther is this beautiful Jewish woman who took the place of Queen Vashti after she was disposed by King Xerxes. While Esther was queen, Haman decided to do an ethnic cleansing and kill all the Jewish people because Mordecai would not bow down, chapter 4. Now this uh, Morty dude was a relative of Esther, came to her and asked her to use her influence with the king to stop all killing. Now this was a very high-risk request, as queens in those days were never, never in the political loop. They were supposed to be beautiful and queenly, and that was it. And if they ever did get involved in politics, usually they were de de uh, deposed. Well, so here's the picture. Older, powerful male relative looking to a young, inexperienced girl who might have the responsibility to overt an actual catastrophe. Perfect setup for some male intimidation on this young girl and also a perfect setup for, yeah, for Esther to cave into this older and wiser male. But an interesting dynamic happens in the story. The older male relative relates very respectfully, eye to eye to Esther. No power play. Nothing like that. Mordecai says, maybe, just maybe, God has made you as queen for such a time as this. Esther 4.14. Powerful words. Maybe you can use your influence to stop a holocaust. Maybe think about it, you can pray about it, and, and let us know. Notice he doesn't intimidate her or lean in on her, but he respects and allows Esther to make the decision. Another thought of notice that you need to understand is that Esther was likely shamed by most Jewish people because of who she was. She's married to a pagan foreign king, and now she will be the one to save all Jews? Wow. God uses the wayward. That's the lesson. And all of us who ask. Notice Esther's position. She does not just cave in and submit to whatever he says. She says, you know what, let's listen and let's request God to, let's hear his voice on this and spend some time fasting and we'll get back together again and make a decision on that. And she did that very thing, not only came back with a decision, but had a great plan to do that. 
and you know the rest of the story, she saved everyone from a Holocaust. Her response to the question of what, if, if something happens to you, shall I do? She said those great words, in light of even death, if I perish, I perish. In other words, God has called me to this. Whatever he wants, I will do. Vashti was a queen, who, of great, queen of great character. Zeresh was a cowardly and compromising wife. Few people in history have had the spiritual discernment and courage that Esther had in this day. And she committed herself at the risk of her life to fulfill the divine mission. Not to please, impress, or placate some man, but she pleased and obeyed her God. Esther is a great example of being committed to truthfulness and obeying God. Her attitude was, if God says yes, I'm going to do it, whatever it is, even if it costs me my life. Women of Coquitlam Alliance, you need to understand that God is up to something in your life. Look around you and understand your part if you get involved with building a God-honoring church or family or community. God is on the move in building His kingdom around us. And he needs women like you to be involved. Listen to God. Tell him that what, whatever he's asking, you will do. Those women who today are with children, motherhood is a high calling. And if God calls you to that, good. Be proud of that. Do your best. Others, he is not called to that. Whatever God calls you to in this mission field, in our communities, in our homes, in our world, get involved. Do what he's asking you to be, do and be. Have the courage to do what is right when it's right. To those women without children now, do the same thing. Listen to God for insight and direction as he will show you and give you life plans. He, he'll, he, in his grace, will challenge you and how you can be involved with friends and people that need to be mentored. There's all kinds of people like this. The last phrase that I do give you today is, if I perish, I perish. Easy to say, hard to do. It means you'll listen to God and obey him whatever he's asking for. So ladies, Become women of character and courage and spiritual discernment. That's what God wants you to do. Seek God when He and dedicate your life to become on an adventure of faith and grace. Seek out new and younger women who, who need encouragement and modeling and, and can learn lessons from people like you. God is calling them and you to become women of valor. And we would pray that that would happen in your life. Those, three are, those are the three stories that is part of the huge story that happened in Esther. And we celebrate Mother's Day today. We celebrate you as a woman today and ask for God's blessing on your life. Lord, thanks for today. Thanks for the privacy, the, the purposefulness of your, your word that speaks to each of us differently. I pray for the women in our church. I pray, Jesus, that they would know uh, that you are for them and working in them and through them. I pray that they would get on team that you uh, the things that you are asking them to do. And in Jesus' name, we pray for your blessing, your protection, your power. For those that have been wounded and hurt, we pray for healing. We pray that grace would flow in an unusual way to them. 
And Lord, for the younger women of our church, some of them not even born yet, we pray your blessing and your leadership will be poured into their lives to the great women that we have now in our church. Thank you for today. We bless you for this opportunity to bless the women of our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.